Hey there, welcome to episode 341 of Sports with Friends. I appreciate everybody who's listening to this, and uh, I love making this podcast. We had a really good time putting this one together. Um, this one came about because of social media. You know, between you know, about four weeks ago now, the passing of my father and my recent birthday, uh, social media has been so incredible. Uh, so many people took time out to offer condolences or wish me a happy birthday. And yeah, it's kind of cliche on Facebook that it posts your birthday. It's fine. It's it's not something that I, I really spend too much time on. I'm just always impressed when people that I've known in passing uh, take the time out, what they think of you, and, and the fact that they think enough of you to want to wish you a happy birthday. I, I just I find the kindness very, very impressive. One such person is a Hall of Famer, and I'm in awe of his career. I grew up listening to this gentleman on television calling hockey games, and when we connected on social media, I just was <laughs> floored by that fact, um, and when he wished me a happy birthday, I said, you know what, if there's never going to be a chance, I want to take advantage of the opportunities of connections and friendships that I have amassed over the years. Jiggs McDonald is that guy. He began broadcasting hockey in 1967. He was the original voice of the Los Angeles Kings. He also was the play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Flames. Uh, of course, he spent over 15 years with the New York Islanders. Um, he also called Toronto Maple Leafs games and Florida Panthers games. And he comes back from time to time to do Islander broadcasts. Um, this week, the week that this podcast is being released, uh, Jiggs is headed to New York to the UBS Arena to call a game for Brendan Burke, who seems like a really young, uh, good guy. Uh, Brendan Burke, the new voice uh, of the Islanders. He also uh, filled in for Howie Rose over the years, and Howie, of course, is, and I are old colleagues. I remember him from Sports Channel. Uh, Sports Channel was the network that cha- that aired my Devils games, and in the famous 1988 playoffs, uh, when the Devils eliminated the Islanders and then the Capitals and then they eventually would lose to the Boston Bruins, uh, this magical season, uh, Jiggs McDonald would fill in on Devils broadcast when Gary Thorne couldn't do the game because he was in baseball as well. Gary Thorne, another great guy in this industry. I want to send a special welcome to a new sponsor we have here on the podcast, Blue Chew. Um, What is Blue Chew? Have you ever heard of Blue Chew? Stay tuned. I'll I'll tell you all about it. It's uh, stuff men are going to want to pay particular attention to. Jiggs McDonald is an icon. He is a hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, This is a a guy whose whose voice uh, permeated my living room, and I hated the stinking Islanders. Jiggs McDonald... (laughs) Is with us uh, here on Sports with Friends. First of all, congratulations on an iconic career, but welcome to the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks. Thanks for, for both, Seth. And it's my pleasure. Happy to be able to join you. It's, it's great to have you. Um, you know, recently you have returned to the Islander booth. Uh, you're filling in. Uh, Brendan, who seems like a really good guy. I, I need to get him on the show as well. Uh you know, I knew Howie Rose for, for a long time. He replaced you. But it seems like, you know, he's been doing some national broadcasts. So there's been a couple of vacancies. And 
they called you out of nowhere? Was it out of the blue? Did you suit? You're wonderful with social media. I wonder if people said, wait a minute, why can't he do this? How did that all come about? <laughs> um, uh, kind of a long story here, I guess, Seth. Uh, I was scheduled to do a game this coming Thursday, March 10th. And obviously, we're pre-recording this. And on a Saturday, early February, I got a call. The Seattle Kraken game has been postponed. It's going to be played on Wednesday instead of uh, the Saturday afternoon, I believe it was. And uh, by the it's way, Brendan has a conflict. So are you available? Ooh, short notice. Um, <laughs> I know that Seattle drafted a bunch of guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe I can you know, work the lineup into my brain. Uh, yeah, and, and I was dealing with uh, some health issues here with my wife at the yeah. time, and, and still am. I said, yeah, I, I think we have enough help. I can get away and do that. Um, all, well, all well and good. It, I mean, the game was terrible. The, the, way the, the way the Islanders performed that night was not what we'd expected at any time. Um, got through it, and at the end of the evening, I said, well, that probably replaces March 10th, right? Oh, oh no, no, no! You're, you're coming back. Brendan has a conflict on on the tenth. Now, on the tenth of March, Butch is scheduled for the second procedure on his shoulder surgery. Oh, and saying, "Oh, wait, now make that April." Oh no! He said, "Now that you're coming back, I'm definitely having it done on, <laughs> on the tenth of March." <laughs> and it just happens that to uh, the date, March ten, coincides forty second anniversary of the trade deadline trade between the Islanders and the LA Kings. So 40 oh, second, wow. maybe Butch takes the night off just to celebrate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, you know, I wasn't going to bring up, I, I didn't bring it up in the open. I wasn't going to, you know, I don't know how private your wife's situation is. If you want to talk about her and her situation, I appreciate your adoration and I know your relationship is still strong. Um, you're more than welcome to use this platform. I know there's so many people who watch you call games for all different teams uh, would want to know. What can you tell us? She's making great progress. Um, we've been married 59, 59 years. Wow. Hard to believe, isn't it? That's a life sentence. So <laughs> she's had a lot, of, a lot of crosses to bear, so to speak. Um, last August, major stroke, making... As I said, great, great progress, great recovery. I have nothing but good things to say about a, a rehab facility here in Fort Myers, so Hope Reserve. Uh, strength is returning on the right side. Speech is better. Uh, we're getting some walking in, and we'll, uh, you know, with the prayers and all the help that we've had, it's going to be fine. She's doing great. And you're, you have a support system, okay, that you can yeah. leave and, you know, Again, not to get too personal, I would just imagine as much as you've dedicated your life to taking care of her as she would do for you, I would think that being able to jet away to go to, you know, the new brand new fancy arena in Long Island or just just to call a hockey game or even attend a hockey game must be just a great respite. It, it is. It's it's the tonic that you can't get out of uh, any pill or any medication. It uh it just gave me a, a lease, a different lease on things or a different outlook on things, if you will. Uh, and I have uh, John Ledecky to thank as, as well as the entire 
Islander organization from top to bottom. It was John, uh, and I didn't think it was five years ago, Seth, but apparently it was that uh, I did the last game prior to the, the fill-in here recently. And that was to complete the, uh, the ability to say that I had done at least one game in each of 50 NHL seasons. Uh, and now to be able to say that I've done a game out of the UBS arena is, uh, I mean, <laughs> opening night was one thing, but to sit in, in Brendan's chair and have that view of the ice surface, have that view of the magnificent building and uh, the fans enjoying, well, they didn't enjoy the game that much, but just all the amenities of the UBS arena uh, to be a part of that. I, I'm forever grateful. Boy, th th what happens on this podcast is there's tangents. So now I have to, I'm at, I'm at a like choose your own adventure book here. I can ask you about the evolution of hockey and what's different about the game, but I kind of, since you opened Pandora's box, I kind of want to say, boy, that arena is nice. And there's no asbestos there. There's a, it, it's, it's clean. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as a lifelong uh, New Jersey Devils fan, I, 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 you know, the Islanders, the best thing about hockey, to be perfectly honest, is the rivalries and yes. your disdain for the Rangers and the Islanders and the Flyers and the Capitals, you know, th th that, that is part of it. And I get excited every time the calendar, you know, I'd, I'd rather play those games only, you know, no offense <laughs> to the Columbus Blue Jackets or the Nashville Predators. I don't care as much when they come to town. Um, so you spent so many years in that Nassau Coliseum. And for an Islander fan listening to this, I do appreciate the adoration. You know, it, it's, a, it's a dump, but it's our dump. That, that's the, the old feeling. Um, what goes through your mind when you see this palace that they've built for that franchise, considering what they had for all those years? Oh, night and day, isn't it? I mean, I mean outhouse to penthouse, as we used to say in, in this build, in this uh, business. <laughs> it uh, nothing. I mean, I have great, great memories, great uh, admiration, respect for uh, the Nassau Coliseum. Admired the things that they had done. Uh, over the years, you, you look at this year's schedule and the Islanders starting on the road the way they did. That wasn't unusual back in the cup winning days because they're adding elevators, they're adding suites, they're adding the press yeah. box. There was always something every year that seemed to say, OK, start the first six, seven games, maybe even the end of training camp on on the road. But it was our building. You talk about home ice advantage. Uh, unfortunately, the tendency for the uh, men's room or ladies' rooms to overflow or back up. Oh, my God. To affect the, uh, the home team dressing room more than the visiting team. But uh, yes, you know, those are my memories of that building. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and the corridors, the, the, the lobbies were so narrow. Uh, the lineups for the urinals between periods, yeah. the concession stands, whatever. But it was our building. It was Fort Never Lose. There was a period, there was a whole long stretch there where visiting teams hated to come to the Coliseum, not just because of the Coliseum, but the talent that they were going to face. Um, so many, so many mornings, morning skates have, uh, you look at the visiting team on the ice and say, well, where's so-and-so, where's so-and-so? Oh, must've got some, some food poisoning last night or some bad clams or something. So they can't play, can't go tonight. They're just not well. Yeah. They, they just didn't want to be humiliated by that that Islander team. Um, but the building itself, the parking lot, the, the things that uh, 
the fans introduced as far as tailgating yep. and uh, yep. the partying that went on even between periods and of course Stanley Cup playoffs. Fantastic. You, you can't, you just can't erase those memories of that building. Yeah, uh, it's very eloquently said uh, by yourself. Um, okay, so now I'll go back to the original th thought I, I had. Uh, the game has changed. You know, the game went through a transformation. They had a season canceled. Um, you know, I, when Gary Bettman was on this podcast, we can argue that the sport was better for it, you know, even though it was a tragic uh, thing that happened. Uh, from a sports perspective, you know, with what's going on in Ukraine right now, I don't like to use the root yeah. word tragic lightly. Um, however, you saw this sport. The enforcer is not the same thing. The sport is just different. How how was it for you to call games? Um, what did you see differently? Almost a trend toward uh, basketball on ice. I mean, there there are a lot of similarities. But uh, no harm, no foul. Uh, the, the slightest little touch or what we used to be able to get away with in, in slowing up. Uh, the, the speed of the game today is, is fantastic. I mean, anybody that watched the Colorado Islander game, you, you look at that Colorado team and it's just pedal to They're the metal. Stacked. Go, They're go, stacked. go. Uh, you, you can't tug on a guy. You can't take away uh, a guy's speed and slow down the game to, to your pace. That, that's gone. Uh, the physicality. Yeah, you know, way back when there was first a move afoot to eliminate fighting altogether. Uh, there was a gentleman in Quebec City, a writer, name escapes me right now, but his whole approach was, this is wonderful. Great, you banish a guy. If they want to fight, you banish them. They go to the dressing room. Game is over. Your hockey is over with. Now you say, okay, it's $5 ahead to come back in to watch these guys fight. Two revenues in, in one night. It, it just, you know, if you want to see fighting, see yeah, you'll going. get your chance. But um, that, and I understand fully the the concussion factor, the the health of the, of these athletes, and the pace of the game. You just you've got to eliminate as much as you can. Uh, from the purest standpoint, yes, it, it's an improvement. From, Old guys like myself, you, you like to see those battles. But going back, and this is even in prior to expansion in 67, uh, teams could set the standard of play. You want to get into a track meet? You want to go hell bent? We'll, we'll match that. Right, then you, you want to get that into kind of roster. Right. Yeah, you want to get into a physical game? You want to get into a tight checking game? Um, used to call it track and field some nights. The Islanders had that. You, you could set the standard of play and they would beat you at it. Now, you, you, you just never know from period to period, shift to shift even, what, uh, what caliber, what brand of hockey you're going to get. And maybe that's a byproduct of the cap and uh, not being able to uh, have a fourth line that's is equal to a second line. Uh, you got to stay within your limits budget-wise, talent-wise too, I think has suffered a little. Um, the size of the athlete, I think overall, the biggest change, though, is the athletic ability of goaltenders. Uh, used to be uh, stop the puck, stand there, move, do whatever you had to do to stop the puck. Now the athleticism of the goaltender, the year-round training, uh, it just it, it's an altogether different approach to the game that it used to be. 
it's a it's a very different sport, but I don't think it's any less exciting. And no, it, it hasn't it hasn't detracted from it. You know, there's the basketball fan will complain about the threes. The football fan complains about the lack of uh, hitting on the quarterback and things like that and pass interference. And the baseball, I mean, baseball's like a different sport. I mean, with the strikeouts and the, it's it's different. But with hockey now, and you know, I'm having this this ex- incredible experience. Uh, my 13 year old daughter has picked up the game. Like she she loves it, and we watch the games together. And if any parent of a of a teenage girl uh, will tell you, uh, if your kid wants to do anything for two and a half hours a night you do it. And so Absolutely. yes, indeed. I, I will watch every game that, that she wants to watch. Um, and so she doesn't know the, 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 the goon squads and the, you know, the, the, she doesn't know about the Marty McSorley's uh, mm-hmm. of, of the, of the sport. And I, I don't think she's missing anything. I don't think that a fan that's embracing the NHL now feels like, boy, the game was better in their era. You know, I, I, I don't feel I, I love the nostalgia and I love watching the old footage, but I don't feel that this current iteration of the NHL is suffering because of it. No, no. A bench emptying brawl used to be what you needed to sell the rivalry between the, the two teams of the two cities and hopefully pack the building next time they come into places that didn't pack the building on regular occasion. And I'm I'm going back to the L.A. Kings days, the Atlanta Flames days. Yeah, I want to cover that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It just, um, you you needed something like that. Or at the time, we felt that uh, meeting in the playoffs, winning a playoff series or having a a great playoff series against Oakland, for instance, or uh, between Atlanta and whoever, we didn't really have any natural rivalries in that that era. But uh, no, the event emptying, the, you know, Everybody on the ice, goaltenders involved as well, and two linesmen and one referee trying to get everybody separated. Even the coaches swinging at one another over the partition, the glass between the benches sure. was entertaining. Brendan Shanahan going into the stands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peter McDab and the Bruins up there. And yeah. um, even even Al, uh, thinking back to, to Al Arbor days, uh, holding Bobby Nystrom back, um, trying to go over the boards in uh, Quebec City one night. and. Al's shoulder comes out of the socket. He's got a dislocated shoulder oh, wow. as a result of trying to keep an eye on, on the bench. It just, you know, great, great memories, things that were created. But is that, no, the game doesn't need that. Now, from a, from a television standpoint and from the fan standpoint, going to the games, uh, three 20-minute periods of good, good hockey is so entertaining. You look at the ability what these guys do the hand-eye coordination doing what they do on, on the skates of an inch of stainless steel remarkable the uh we recently had ed gorin on the uh, guy who started fox sports and when uh, john madden passed and ed we asked him about the glowing puck and <laughs> what he made a great point about technology how hd television and the new advances in in televisions has made hockey more appealing to the video. Um, you didn't. You don't need a glowing puck. You you can see it now, and it, you you can't make the same arguments that you could make in the seventies and eighties about it's hard to see and, and it's better in person. It is better in person, but now you can immerse yourself. And what I have always said: if you want something picturesque, and I wanted to get your take on this, uh, 
these outdoor games. What a great idea. And Aren't they? Are, they oh. are, I don't care who's playing. They are spectacular to watch. Absolutely. What they have done with the creating a hockey atmosphere on a baseball diamond or football field is remarkable. The, the way they, well, the game in Minnesota with the kind of the log cabin effect and the, the dasher boards at the oh, back of the dasher boards. How everything cool was that? The ambiance. Yeah, just everything involved. Uh, I mean, the game almost took a backseat to uh, to the, I guess, overall picture that was shown yeah. from the high cameras. Uh, Ed Gorn and the glowing puck. I, I never got to work with it during my uh, my Fox era, but I was at the, the broadcast meeting when it was first introduced, and the guys <laughs> that had created it set came out of a dark room. That I think they'd been in there for six months by the look of the beard. And the, the way the eyes were sunk and their faces drawn, but here it was. And there was only two, two that they had created. And if they went into the seats, they, somebody had to go get it and get it back into play as, as quickly as they could. Uh, it, you know, at that time, I was commuting to, uh, to do some Fox games from the condominium in the west, uh, east coast of Florida, Port St. Lucie area. Yeah. And there were... I'd say maybe six, seven gray-haired ladies around the pool who watched the game now, and they could see where the puck was. Now I can see that oh, thing you call a puck. It. Now I know what you're talking But why is it up in the seats? Every now and then, you know, it didn't stay on the ice. It's, it's showing up in the crowd somewhere. And, and some usher is running to get it, or an intern. Yeah, but the technology, I mean, it was just the tip of the iceberg as to yep. where we are on, uh, on hockey coverage today for television. Remarkable. Oh, it's 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 absolutely gorgeous. Um, you you bounced around. You, you know, I uh, people listening to this podcast, I, I have a feeling. Just anyone who's been listening over the years knows you from the New York Islanders. What I you started your career with the expansion L.A. Kings. You were born in Ontario, mm-hmm. and hockey is king where where you're from. What was it about play by play of hockey, and was that something you wanted from your youth? You know, now, you know, if I had a nickel for every kid who's in junior and high school wants to get into sports broadcasting, what was it then? And I'm not an ageist in any way. I just I'm always fascinated. You chose a path when not many were thinking about that kind of path. (laughs) Uh, Truth be told, I was a disc jockey. Uh, My my first job in radio was uh, well, the late night, we didn't have overnight. We were a sign-off at midnight station, my first job. Uh, I handled the night shift. It was a little bit of, uh, of music and then roll tapes and introduce whatever the 11 o'clock news and sports, and, and we were out of there. Um, had gone where, to, where was that radio station? That was in Lindsay, Ontario. Nice. Lindsay, Ontario, CKLY 910 uh, on the AM dial, of course. Then I went to... A 10, 000, that was a thousand watt station. I went to, well, the, almost two years later, I went to a 10,000 watt radio station in Aurelia, Ontario, Gordon Lightfoot's hometown. And a uh, little more creative. There was a lot of opportunities to do different things. The sports director was very, very good. Uh, he, he left uh, to go to a job in Welland, Ontario. I took over the sports end and uh, the play-by-play. I had done one game in Lindsay. And um, was frightened to death, of course. Uh, but but did it? But you recorded it. it? And you had a tape? No, unfortunately, 
No, I don't, Seth. But uh, no, I no, no, not, not. Do you still have it? Did you record it to send it to potential employers? No, wow. no, no, not until I read it. Not until okay. I was doing play-by-play -play on a regular basis that that tape went to LA that created the job. But what really triggered wanting to make play-by-play -play, uh, a career was leaving Reddit for a short period of time. I, I got my back up a little bit and uh, walked out. The only time I think I've I quit a job in, in, in that light. I got a job at a radio station in Peterborough where there was a second, seven second. That was what you had between records. So what are you gonna do? Is it gonna rain or not? Did we win or lose? Time, temperature, tune type of thing. And that format to me just, just eliminated all possible cre creativity. Uh, what can you do in seven seconds? Uh, yeah, not, not a whole lot. So when I got the opportunity to go back to her, I just uh, in the back of my head said, let's have some fun. Let's do as much play by play. So I did baseball, some high school football. Uh, the, the owners of the radio station were so cooperative as far as let's cover. We were a, a local station, the only one in town. Let's let's make the community proud. Um, so I, I just said, this is, this is where the future is for me. I, if I'm not going to be a disc jockey, then I'm selling insurance if I, if I can't do play by play on a regular basis. So uh, with expansion in 67, I applied for the job in LA, got it, I think because I worked cheap, but I got the job uh, five years there, then to Atlanta, and you, you know the history onto the Islanders and so on. This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Blue Chew. Listen, owning your own podcast means you can talk about anything. The feedback I get from this podcast is that it is an intimate conversation. Well, what's more intimate than talking about sex? There are all kinds of reasons guys aren't able to perform. Age, medical conditions, stress. It's not something that you should be stressing out about. It happens. It's okay. And usually, if whatever the reason is can be rectified, you will be just fine. But you don't want it to impact your social life. And if you have the opportunity to have sex, you do not want something to impede your possibilities. The chewables from BlueChew.com can help make sure you're able to perform at your best every time you get the opportunity to have sex. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra or Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor office, no awkward conversation. Have you ever had a conversation about sexual dysfunction with a doctor? No waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Sex should be the best part of your day when you get to have it. Don't let whatever happened during your day get in your head and ruin the fun. They're made in the USA, prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And we have a special deal here at Sports with Friends. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code SWF at checkout. Sports with Friends. You just pay $5 shipping. 
That's BlueChew.com, promo code SWF, to receive your first month free. We thank BlueChew for being a sponsor of Sports with Friends. You worked with Al Michaels? Uh, not, no, we never got on the air together. You weren't on the air together, but he worked for the team, you worked for the team at the same time. We worked for the same owner. And did you ever give tired. him a vegetable? Because the, the, the legend is he never eats vegetables. <laughs> I, that I'm not aware of, but I'll check it out. <laughs> um, Al and I met in the corridor of the hotel in New York, attending an NBA uh, PR director's meeting. It was the day after Jack Kent Cook had had a name the team uh, meeting in, uh, or big how do you do actually in Springfield. and. Uh, Springfield Mass, and the, the uh, Springfield Indians would now be the Springfield Kings. So after this, uh, it's how do you do that we had, he said to me, now, I want you like a good boy to go to New York and represent the Lakers at PR director's meeting. Mr. Cook, I've never seen an NBA game. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You'll be just fine. You pay attention to what the Chicago Bulls do. Anything Mr. Wirtz and the Bulls do, you do. Okay, so... And then he said, I, I called Larry. He knows you're coming. And I'm thinking, Larry, who? Oh, yes. Larry O'Brien, the commissioner of the NBA at the yeah. time. So They named the trophy after New- him. Yes. I go to New York. The next morning, I'm walking down the hall toward uh, this meeting, this conference room. And a young man behind me said, uh, is your name McDonald? Yes, it is. He said, I am Dick White. I used to be the PR director of the LA Lakers. I'm now going to San Diego to, to work there. He said, boy, you're in it for a tough day. Why? Well, it was the first year of the 24-second mandatory timeout. Fred Schaus was coaching the Lakers. Fred would never take that timeout, refused to take it. So now (laughs) the league is coming down on the Lakers. Meantime, as he and I are talking, this guy walks up behind and he said, "Uh, are you from L.A.? I said, well, yeah, sort of. He said, "Uh, Ken McDonald? Yeah. He said, hi, I'm Alan Michaels. I've been hired to be your, your color man. Well, really? Yeah, a guy by the name of Don Fraser had hired Al while Jack Kent Cook and everybody else was in Springfield. Yeah. So all well and good. He said, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be together. So we sat there. Nothing happened during the, the morning session. My wife, Marilyn, had just had our second daughter, and I was in L.A. She's in Ontario. So now I've got a chance to go home. And I said to Al, can you cover the afternoon? If I grab a flight, get to Ontario and see my wife, I'll be back out there Monday morning. Sure, by all means. So that, that was it. Uh, and I get back to LA the Monday, the following week, Al Michaels is now working on the Lakers side of things. So mm. he's going to be joining Chick Hearn as the analyst on Laker telecast and broadcast. Wow. Chick, at his infinite wisdom, would never let Al have the mic. Al would reach for the mic and Chick Oh, that's my mic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Seth, it, it, Ed it was Farmer. Uh, that makes me think of Ed Farmer with the White Sox. <laughs> bingo. Bingo. Uh, yeah. So, Al and I, um, not until the Calgary Winter Olympics did we ever really work for the same, in, in the same building, sure. same time type of thing. I remember and, the 88 uh, Olympics. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We had great memories. Anytime we get to, uh, to see one another, we just kind of laugh about those days. Al, uh, Al tells a great story. He was not only uh, the analyst of working with Chick, but he's also the traveling secretary. <laughs> so he's got the, the airline tickets. He's got the right, money, the hotel keys. The, 
Oh yeah, you got everything. They're at the airport. That is a LAX. thankless job. That is such a oh, hard totally. job. The traveling secretary title. Not, yeah. Yeah, full-time broadcaster doesn't do that anymore. But there's yeah. Al with all this. And he gets the call that he's to go, and this is long before cell phones. He's to go to Beverly Hills to see Mr. Cook. Uh, <laughs> but we're leaving on a road trip. Just give that to so-and-so. As Al is leaving the airport, who's walking in the door? Hot Rod Huntley. And Hot Rod is now the new analyst with Chick, and he's going to handle the tickets yeah, and yeah. the diem money and so on. Wow. And it was bye-bye to Al. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating stuff. Um, again, the, the tangent game, and you know, as much as I feel like this could be a five-hour show, um, the you mentioned the 88 Olympics. In 88, you had an experience that I will never forget um you the islanders uh were eliminated in the playoffs uh but the upstart new jersey devils made the playoffs for the first time ever and gary thorne was their play-by-play announcer an incredible announcer and a really yeah. fun guy a wonderful human being hasn't been on sports with friends but uh, i've known him over the years um and you slid over from the islander broadcast because they were on the same channel sports channel at the time uh, you worked with Peter McNabb, but you did it in a time that I think people don't recognize how magnetic that time was. They had just made the playoffs for the first time ever. They had that crazy series with the Islanders, but then the capital series mm -hmm. and then the Boston series. And you called the Boston game when uh, the referee, the, the officials, the game officials uh, walked out because Jim Schoenfeld was behind the bed. I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm, I'll, I'll age myself out here. I was 14 years old. It was one of the greatest times in my sports memory. I, I it will never forget that playoff run, starting with that, that night in Chicago. But you were a central piece of it. What was that experience like? That was unreal. That, that, I mean, you, you just, well, of course, you, you can't anticipate something like that. No. <laughs> Although perhaps I should have when Shawnee showed up and then you had that, that how do you do with the uh, the officials and Don Koharski, go have another Coho. donut. I'll ne I'll never I'll forget it. Donut. I couldn't believe a human. I never seen a grown up talk like that. <laughs> oh, it was, it was unreal. The, um, the whole experience when, uh, when they called and asked if I would do it, I said, yeah, sure. You know, we'll, we'll keep it in house. Like it, it's right. Sports Channel's family. Um, it, it worked well. Jackie Lyons was our producer, and Jackie magnificently put everything together, kept everything together. Being with Peter, then later on, Peter and I were together with Fox, of course. Uh, the right. games most right. people. I remember that. Yeah, we were kind of the West Coast guys uh, at that time. Uh, it, it was just something that it was it was fun. At, at the time, you, you weren't really sure what, where you could go with this from a league standpoint and what the league uh, involvement might be, what they would want you to say. Uh, I, I'd never experienced anything like, like that. But uh, yeah, it, it's one of those great memories that you just can't flush uh, away. And, and you don't want to flush it away either. It, it sticks with you. Well, the story went, it was a, there was a Friday night game and there was a, a, Jim Schoenfeld was the coach of the Devils. But he'd only been the coach for like three months. 
And he came in and he was arguing with the referee and he said some profanity and I think he threw a punch or something and he was supposed to be suspended, but he appealed his suspension and the officials protested. The officials decided it was a Sunday evening, but it happened to be Mother's Day Mm -hmm. and they call it the Mother's Day massacre. But the idea was the officials were not going to take the ice if Jim Schoenfeld was there. And they delayed the game by two hours. Well, 14 year old me had to go out with his family for Mother's Day. I remember my grandmother was in town. We had this big Mother's Day dinner. And all I was angry about was I was going to miss game six. And I came home and I didn't I thought there was something wrong with the cable. (laughs) I didn't understand. I didn't understand what was why is the game in the first period? What? And then for about an hour, I thought they waited because they felt bad because it was Mother's Day. And they said they got to start. I was 14. I never will forget that event. And you were at the centerpiece of that. I I thought if we were going to tackle any random stories, that's one of the strangest ones. Yeah, it uh, one of those weird, weird days. And of course, the the guys that finally did officiate the game uh, were off ice officials. at that time, I guess we called the minor officials, off-ice officials. Yep. Uh, and did a they wore yellow really, shirts. Oh, my yeah, God, I remember. And did a great job. Really, I mean, given, given the circumstances, given the fact that it was playoff hockey, they did a, a tremendous job. I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Atlanta. Um, your experience yeah. with Atlanta, um, it's a city that is maligned as not being a great sports town. They've lost two hockey teams. I just just yep. received a book, and it's here somewhere. My youngest daughter uh, made sure that I got a copy of Loserville. <laughs> Have you seen or, or heard of Loserville? No. Um, yeah, here it is. It's part of my armpit. That's okay. It's an audio podcast. So nobody can see it. Yeah, Loserville, how professional sports remade Atlanta and how Atlanta remade professional sports. And it's not just a bedtime read. It's a a thick book. I have to check this book out. Yeah, Atlanta, you know, uh, so many things come flooding back about Atlanta. Underfinanced going into it to begin with. um, Getting into a situation where uh, they... The interest on a loan was based on the prime rate, plus I think three or four points in floating. So when the prime rate got to uh, 11, 12, and you're paying 14, 15% on a loan back to the National Hockey League, uh, you would need to fill the building twice on any given game in order to uh, to make any money or just to break even. It, uh, It was an unfortunate situation. The team did not share in any of the uh, uh, concession revenues. It, it was ticket sale only driven. There was a little bit of television money, but not much. So it, uh, little by little, the, the nine owners uh, got together, one by one dropped out. And um, really then in 1980, when they offered to move to Calgary came along, it, it was pretty much a no-brainer, no-brainer for yeah. Mr. Cousins and, and that group. They they, they were just drowning in debt uh, year after year. I always thought, and I, I, I've said this on the podcast before, I've always thought relocation is the undertold story. Um, I think relocation, the saga of relocation, 
um, in many situations has been replaced. You know, the Baltimore Colts leave, they got the Ravens, the Cleveland Browns leave, they get a new Cleveland Browns. You know, the they, Winnipeg loses the Jets, they get the Winnipeg Jets, you know, the things like that. There have been a couple of Quebec never got a team. Uh, Hartford never got a team. Um, yeah. The Seattle Supersonics in the NBA, uh, obviously. The, there's, there's a couple of them, but um, to be part of a legacy of a finite franchise, you know, the Islanders could be around for 100 more years. You will have played a major role in their franchise, but eventually someone may do more games than you. Oh, yeah. That can't well, happen I, I with the so. Atlanta. That can't happen with, you know, a franchise that came to a close. I kiddingly say that it took me eight years to put the Flames out of business, but I accomplished it. <laughs> um, no, I, I had, You've used Atlanta, that joke before. That's not a new joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Uh, Atlanta was wonderful. Uh, I, I regard the, the five years with the Kings, the eight years in Atlanta as having done missionary work for the game and the National Hockey League. Uh, we tried not to talk down to people who understood the sport or talk up, uh, trying to, to teach offside, teach icing, the line changes, the ability to, to change on the fly. Yeah, you're, uh, you pulled the goaltender, but not like the starting pitcher, that goalie can come back in, he, he can come play again. Oh, why is that? Well, it's a coach's decision. Or maybe he won't, wasn't comfortable with equipment or whatever. Um, yeah, it uh, Atlanta uh, again the, the financing, but just the going there originally with the number of um, major companies uh, that had headquarters in Atlanta and the number of people who had who had moved to Atlanta for job reasons. You would think that it would have been able to support hockey. And I think uh, given the givens, it, it would have in, in time had we been a little more creative in how we got people. Uh, when, when the team, when the players contributed money to uh, have tickets given and groups would come, the number of people who called, how do we get to the Omni? Where, where is the Omni? And this was four years in, or five, maybe even six years into the existence of the Omni and the team. You say to yourself, well, this is where the circus plays. This is where Elvis has appeared. This is where the Hawks play. This, the, the Omni is central to sports and entertainment in the heart of downtown Atlanta. People don't know how to get here. We haven't done a very good job. None of us. And then I'm talking about the building, uh, concert promoters, hockey promoters, whoever, whomever. We didn't get the job done. Uh, nowadays, with the, the Braves' new facility out in Cobb County. It, it, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, back then, maybe the building should have been elsewhere. It's a little bit like uh, like the Florida Panthers in reverse. I mean, the Panthers build that building Great in point. downtown Miami, but go to the suburbs and uh, the folks from Miami at that time, now that they've got a very, very good hockey team, the people are coming in and starting to fill that building, thank goodness. But uh, for a long time, no, we're not going to go Miami up to, uh, well, it wasn't even Fort Lauderdale or the Sunrise where the building sits. Um, location, location. You've got the Everglades. You can't draw anybody from the Everglades to one side of you. you your, your attendance is going to come from the north, south, and the east. And uh, so many people around hockey and around uh, the new arenas say everything is real estate driven. Your arena is going to be oh, in a place where you can can sell real estate, you can sell 
uh, boutiques, restaurants, uh, whatever. Uh, this is, it's real estate driven now. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. There's no secret about that. Uh, in our remaining moments, I, you know, there's going to be somebody who listens to this podcast says, you barely touched on the Islanders. Well, I mean, we covered a lot. Um, you came at a time, you didn't call the first championship. So you called the next three. Um, they were already great when you got there. Um, but part of it is you, you got there at the glory time for this franchise. So I, it had to have helped endear yourself to that fan base. Yes, absolutely. I think it wouldn't matter whether it was me or, or anybody. Uh, it probably would have helped Howie's uh, acceptance with, with Islander fans. I mean, I think the majority of Islander fans always regarded Howie as a Ranger broadcaster who'd come over to do Islanders, and that's really unfortunate. unfortunate. Howie is a talented, talented broadcaster, a great individual, uh, didn't, didn't deserve to be yeah. painted that way. Um, but that, that was just the era when, when he arrived following my departure in, in 95. Um, so yeah, I, I was very fortunate. I, I had a couple of things going for me in, the, in the dressing room and that would be uh, Billy Smith and Butchie, of course, uh, we were together in LA, uh, Butchie longer than, uh, than Smitty, uh, Bill Torrey, I'd known from his days with the Oakland seals. And of course, uh, being around the game as long as he was in Al Arbor, prior to joining the Islanders, was actually employed by the Atlanta Flames. And I've often asked uh, Cliff uh, Fletcher why, knowing uh, the volatility of a Boom Boom Jeffrey on, why did he allow Al to get away? He said, well, you know, Al wanted to coach and we didn't know where we were going. Of course, it wasn't Boom at that time. We'd gone through two or three other coaches, uh, Freddie Creighton being the and, and Al McNeil, it was Al at the time that we moved to Calgary, or the team moved. Uh, Al still wanted to coach. Uh, Al McNeil, mm -hmm. you've got uh, Al Arbor wanting to coach, and you, you can't have two Al's behind behind the bench. At that time, there was only the one coach. There were no assistants patrolling up and down, handling either end of the bench with the forwards or the defensemen. So, um, yeah, I, as I say, Seth, I had a, a couple of friendships inside the dressing room and, and around, and when you have a guy like the late Clark Billings in the dressing room, Clark, mm -hmm. if Clark embraced Just you, recently Clark passed, did, yeah. you know, as soon as I, I arrived on the scene, um, it was like uh, the welcoming was tremendous. Uh, and I've overlooked John Potvin. John was with the Kings when I was sure. there. And uh, Jean, René, Louis, Levac, Potvin, and I had always had a lot of laughs together. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he would always say, uh, Jig, you know that uh, I am. I'm the bait. I am the bait. He was in the Philadelphia, traded to the Islanders. He was the bait to make sure that Denny signed with the Islanders and not with the WHA. Jig, I am the bait. That just uh, used to crack me up, and it still does to this day. That, that, so it, I really walked into a a great situation. I didn't didn't have the opportunity to go to Calgary as such. Uh, I was told. Get a job, get out here, get a job, we'll probably use you. Uh, that didn't really fly with me. So uh, when the Islander opportunity came along, it, it uh, grabbed it. That, from a turn to the old, the old line, there's that lawyer following the ambulance again or the fire it's, truck. It's or... career defining. You make decisions <laughs> and you don't, you didn't think when you took the Islander job, I'll, I'll be here for decades. I, you... No, I didn't. No. 
So many people have told me, what are you doing? Jigs, it's a graveyard for broadcasters. Look at the number of guys who've gone through there. Yeah. But um, let me also say. But you brought a dignity above, to it. You, you, you weren't just good at your game. You represented the, the, the organization and fans loved you. Or they still do. I shouldn't you. say thank that you. in past I, I tense. That's not back. right. I love them back. And I've overlooked one name outside the dressing room, outside management. I got the warmest welcome. So happy to have you join this team, Tim Ryan. Tim oh, Ryan was yeah. doing the former know, announcer, yeah, yeah, doing the uh, the Channel Nine games. Uh, Tim's workload at CBS was such that he was missing X number of games, and then finally, after I shouldn't say finally, after the first season I was there, Tim said, "You know what, Jigs? Basically, it's yours. I, I'm only going to be able to do maybe a half dozen games all season, and that's not fair." Uh, Tim was. Tim was just so wonderful with my arriving on the scene. Um, it, it, there's a warm spot. There's a, there's a, there's a, a special feeling for Tim Ryan. Well, let's do this. Um, I want to tease because we, we, we're, we're wrapping up on such a positive note. And, you know, the Islander fans who hate my guts, they're going to finally listen to this <laughs> podcast. I had Cal Clutterbuck on this show once, and he people on social media were hysterical. They were like, what are you, a traitor? I said, look, it's a podcast. It's not a devil's podcast. I'm allowed to talk to other teams. Um, Jigs, uh, congratulations on your career. I'm Thank thrilled you. that you're coming back to, to do the games. As someone who doesn't even watch the Islander broadcast, I'm going to be tuning in just to check you out. Uh, you're a a voice of a generation, and you know, your career, you have so much to be proud of. Uh, I am so grateful that we connected through social media. Social media can do wonderful things, and because of that, uh, we had you on a podcast called Sports with Friends. I am thrilled to do this, and I'm so happy that you're you're doing well, and I just wish nothing more for your your, your wife, the rest of your family, and I just uh, I, I'm thrilled to have done this episode. I am as well. I, I didn't know what to expect coming into it, but I, I knew uh, from reputation that uh, you would be fair, and you've been more than fair. More, uh, I, I I've enjoyed every second of this. Look forward to whatever you need that that I can help you with. In, in the future uh, we'll definitely do a fisherman episode coming up in the <laughs> summer that i could so totally i could see the artwork for that podcast it'll be perfect uh, Bingo. jigs mcdonald ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening we have a new episode that comes out each and every wednesday uh, it's not every wednesday i can get icons like jigs mcdonald but we will do our best thanks for listening we'll see you then if you want me to stay i'll be around today to be available for you to see I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile come on please I'm gone forget reaching my phone because I promise I'll be gone for a Have been the kind of person